You ready to get into God's Word? I, I'm telling you, I'm so excited about the text today. I don't want to waste any time, so I'm going to jump right into it. Sounds good? If you're new here, my name is Pastor Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at this amazing church, and we love God's Word so much we preach it verse by verse book by book, and today we find ourselves in the book of Second Peter, and we are looking at chapter, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and the title of the sermon today is Counterfeit, okay? Now, if there is anything that we better be right about, it's Jesus, the Bible, and eternity, and I'm grateful for the truth of God's word. Last week, Peter did, he did some begging and pleading with his readers to stay true to God's word. Prioritize it. Build your life around it. He was building on a message that Jesus taught them. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. It says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes and torrents and flood, floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds on a house in sand, when the rain and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. That is what was taught to Peter, and Peter's building on that now. He's saying, make God's word a priority in your life. And after telling us how important the Bible is to our survival, it's going to make, he's going to kind of make a slight transition here. Now, he's going to, for all of chapter 2, warn the readers about false teachers, those who distort God's truth. Now, in our spiritual journey, we have all experienced people we thought had a strong relationship with the Lord get tired and they drop out. We've witnessed people we thought had a strong relationship with the Lord get seduced by the temptations of the world, whether it be lust, greed, whatever it is, and they drop out. It's important to understand how temptation works. We don't talk about temptation a lot. We don't talk about sin a whole lot anymore in Christian circles. But it's important to understand how temptation works. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4, Peter, or Paul, excuse me, he's going to talk about sin and the relationship to the believer. He says this, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul's saying we're dead to sin. All right, the Bible has a lot to say about sin. It has a lot to say about what the believer's life looks like after they come to a faith in Jesus Christ. And in that passage, Paul is pretty much saying, look, a believer, a true, genuine believer is dead to sin. What does that mean? When we accept Christ, we die to sin in two ways. Two ways. Number one, being dead to sin means we renounce it once and for all. This is called repentance, right? We've all heard of that word. It's a, it's a Christian word. It's used in Christian circles, repentance. We've heard of it in church circles, but what does it really mean? Well, simply put, it means you change your mind towards sin. If you're a follower of Jesus, you view sin differently than you did before. See, repentance is the essence of conversion. If repentance didn't happen at your conversion, then whatever else happened at your conversion, it wasn't really a conversion, Okay? Some of you are like, wow, wow, Pastor Justin, you're being a bit radical. You might even say, look, I believe in God. Well, great, but you know what? The book of James says even the demons believe in God, but they aren't saved. The big difference between believing in God and trusting him as your Lord. Okay, salvation begins in repentance and surrendering. 
Number two, being dead to sin means that through his resurrection, Jesus destroys the reign of sin in our lives. That's powerful. What an amazing truth. What an amazing fact that when we say yes to Jesus and we surrender our life to him, that same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is placed into our heart. Get excited about that. I, I do. When that happens, we've got access to Jesus Christ's resurrection power over sin in this present life right now. Okay? Romans chapter 6, verse 5, Paul said, For if we've been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now listen, united in that, in that passage, the word united, it's, it's a horticulture term. It's where you take branches off one tree and graft them into another tree. So you get this idea that when we start following Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes the dead branch of our life and grafts it into Christ's living root and his life starts to flow inside of us right now in the present. Okay, we live for eternity. We know that day is coming, but the power of the resurrection is present in our life right now. And that doesn't mean we're sinless. I'm not preaching that, okay? For goodness sakes, that's not at all what, I, what it means. But if we really surrender our life to Jesus, then we reject sin in our life, and that means its reign over us is broken by the power of the resurrection. So how can we continue to willfully practice sin? Every single one of us here in this auditorium today, we're gonna have moments where we choose sin. The Bible teaches that instead of a sinless life, it's a new set Set a, it's a new set direction, a pattern. We're following a trajectory, either towards God or away from him. All right? So dying to sin, it doesn't mean sinless perfection, but it does mean a new direction. It's utterly impossible. Listen to me. It is impossible to encounter something as powerful as the resurrection and not show its effects. Impossible. When you experience the power of Jesus Christ in your life and the power of the Holy Spirit is now home in your heart, you walk different, you talk different, you think different, you're different. You're different. Because there's no way to encounter that level of power and be the same. Okay, so the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's not, it's not just some historical fact. It's not just something we talk about on Easter. It's, it's a power to make anew in the present right now, right here. The gospel, it's not about just turning over a new leaf. It's about receiving new life. That's incredible. And some of you are thinking, man, why did Pastor Justin just preach a mini-sermon on sin in relationship to the believer's life? Now, I'm going to warn you today. I'm, I'm preaching verse by verse. I'm going to do expository preaching. I'm going to take longer in the introduction today than I am delivering the actual points that Peter makes in this. And there's a reason for it. When Peter wrote his, his audience, when he was writing to these readers, they had a very good understanding of what sin was, okay? So Peter didn't have to go into that, but you need, you need an understanding of sin and the relationship of the believer and temptation. So I'm gonna spend a little more time in the introduction. Don't worry, I'm gonna get you out in time. You're gonna watch the bangles, I promise. But Peter's wanting his readers to stand firm and to do what we do what we, uh, we need to understand. To stand firm, we've got to understand how temptation and sin works. So we just kind of talked about our relationship now to sin. We're headed in a new direction. We view it differently. We, we have new life when we put our faith in Jesus. Temptation still exists in our life. And we need to know this about temptation. We're only tempted by what we desire. So the temptation that we face, it gets stronger and stronger, and then we start using our imagination to create virtual realities. And, and once we're tempted, 
There's always this tendency to rationalize giving into it. That's temptation. And here's the kicker. We need to understand this to to really understand why Peter's going to warn us about false teachers in our text today. Because temptations towards sin are not unrelated to misunderstandings about who God is. So many people allow themselves to be deceived by false truths because, uh, because of the sin that they're, they're led into in their own life. So with that in mind, we've got to understand that the main spiritual problem, listen to me, church, the main spiritual problem is the heart and its desires. In fact, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Hmm. And now, here we come to chapter two and this very significant change in Peter's approach. And notice I said change in his approach, not his goal. There's a change in his approach, not his goal. His goal still is to make us firm, to make us stable, to make us unshakable in our faith. That's what Peter wants. Chapter one is, is really, it's pretty much an encouragement to embrace God's power to lead lives of godliness and holiness. That's what chapter one is. You can live a life of holiness. You can live a life of godliness. You can turn from sin. You need to embrace the power of the Holy Spirit. And now he makes, he makes a shift in his approach. Chapter two is gonna be pretty much a warning against the destruction that is gonna come to those who don't embrace God's power. John Piper says it like this, if chapter one is the carrot, chapter two is the crack of the whip over our heads. (laughs) Listen to this, chapter two, there's not one command in chapter two, there's no admonitions. There are no imperatives in chapter two at all. It's just pure, terrifying description of what will happen to those who fall prey to false teachers in the church. That's all chapter two is. And in verses one through three, Peter unpacks, uh, he unpacks the uh, a definition and a description of what a false teacher is. And here's what's so scary. Is it, it can be tricky because they might use our vocabulary, but not our dictionary. They might use our vernacular, but not our theology. And, and, and having infiltrated the church, false teachers are going to begin to sow their fake and counterfeit doctrines right alongside the truth of God's word. In fact, John 10.10 says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill, I said it like a Midwesterner, kill, kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Listen, the best defense against a fake is always to be intimately familiar with the real deal. And then you need a description of the fake so you know what to look for. Man, I lived in Asia. They always made the fake Rolexes. <laughs> and I may, have, may or may not have bought a few. But I would always come. I had a friend in the States who, who did watches. He worked for watches. And he would look at the different ones. And there were some that he could say, yeah, this is definitely fake. I can spot it from a mile away. And there's some that he would look at. And he would have to look real closely and said, man, it's really hard to tell. But if I opened it up and looked inside, I'd be able to tell you it's fake. But he knew what to look for. He was an expert. Do you know that even back in Deuteronomy, all the way back in the Old Testament, chapter 13, way back in the time of Moses, there's an entire chapter devoted to instructing the Israelites on how to spot a fake, how to spot a fake prophet, right? 
Then the prophet, listen, this is incredible. The true prophet, Isaiah, he warns the Israel about it. He says this, prophets who teach lies. There's prophets out there who teach lies and, and cause Israel to err. And then there's Jeremiah, another authentic, true, genuine prophet. The Lord spoke through him saying this, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. And then he continued, and God said this, I did not send them, I did not command them, I did not speak to them, and yet they prophesy false visions. Church, listen to me. There has always been false prophets. There have always been false gospels. There have always been fake, false Christians. And in the end, of the, in the end days, there's even going to be a false Christ who's going to present himself. And why is that? Why is that? Because that's Satan's plan. He's a con artist. He's, he's good at it, too. He, his plan is to con as many as he can. And his number one tactic is deception. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said he's a liar. He's the father of all lies. Lies. Not only that, but as we get closer to God's return, you, you, you can expect that it's going to intensify. It's not going to get any better. In fact, it has to get worse before it can get better. According to Jesus in Matthew 24, he said, many will come in my name saying I am Christ and deceive many. Hate that word many, especially in that context. And deceive many. And many false prophets will rise up and they will also deceive many. How many of you guys remember Newton's third law of motion? I wouldn't remember it if I didn't study for this sermon. I heard, a, I heard another preacher talk about it. But it's true. He's, he said, in, in Newton's third law of motion, every action brings an equal and opposite reaction. So that's, you know that's true in the spiritual world as well. Every action from heaven brings a correspondent reaction in the realms of hell and on earth. And Satan will do everything possible to deter people from the faith. His aim is to draw people away from truth. And so Peter wants to do everything that he can to make sure his readers are able to spot a fake. He's already started. He said, you better be intimate with this. You better know this. This better be a priority in your life. And now he's going to say, and this is how you can spot a fake. And he gives in these three verses three descriptions of a false teacher. It's really easy if you're taking notes. I want you to look at three descriptions today of a false teacher. Before we get started, I want to pray. So will you join with me in prayer? Spirit of the living God, I pray today that you would fall fresh on us as we go into your word. And God, I pray that your word would go into us today. God, let your word, your spoken word, let its transformative power illuminate within us, transform us, let it move us, motivate us, fix us, change us today. Speak through me. I am just a mouthpiece. I pray that you would speak directly to the hearts of those that are here today. I pray that you would be God in the midst of this place, that you would be God in the midst of your people, that you would establish yourself in our hearts today, not just those that are here today physically, but those that have joined us online. God, whether they are driving in a car, watching it from a phone or a computer, sitting on their living room couch, wherever they are, be God. Establish yourself in their hearts. I thank you, God. I thank you because you are enough for whatever anybody is facing today. You're enough. You're enough to get them through it. 
And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You guys ready to get to work? Let's get at it. You ready? Here we go. First, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Here's the first description. He says, a false teacher will smuggle destruction. He's a smuggler, okay? Look with me, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people. Arose. Man, he goes past tense here. Just as there will be false teachers among you, that's present tense, and notice he changed his description. He went from talking about a prophet, and in the present tense, he talked about a teacher. And then he's going to go future tense here. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Few important things I want you to take note of here. Okay, at the end of chapter 1, Peter told us about holy men of God who were prophets and spoke as the Holy Spirit moved them. And now Peter's bringing in the alternate, alternative thought. Not only were there holy men moved by the Holy Spirit, there were false prophets that needed to be understood and dealt with. He mentions false prophets and false teachers. I probably could preach a whole sermon on this, but I won't. But I do think it's interesting. I think you need to take note that when he's speaking past tense, that's before the Holy Spirit, before the Holy Spirit came upon us at the day of Pentecost, there was a need for the office of prophet. When he speaks present tense and future tense, he uses the word teacher. Chew on that. Go, go study it, okay? <laughs> I don't have time to get into that, but another sermon I will. So he mentions false prophets, false teachers. So here's the thing. There's always been false prophets and false teachers. Always. And, and I think the, the, the very fact of that truth uh, should encourage us today, all right, that they had to deal with it too. It's been something the church has always, the people of God have always had to deal with. Now I need you to focus on two phrases here. One in verse, uh, two phrases in verse one. Arose among the people. And the second phrase is this, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. So arose among the people. Here's what's so scary about this passage is that false teachers who arise from within the church are the most dangerous because they look like any other brother or sister in the faith. Man, the more pious false teachers appear to be, the more dangerous they are. Look at that. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. This is how they operate. They're clever about what they do. They're sneaky. They're tricky. How many of you guys have ever watched the TV show How to Catch a Smuggler? Man, you got to. Goodness, goodness, I'm the only one. My wife and I love this show. This show is about these experts at these airports and these custom agents who will catch smugglers trying to smuggle in uh, different things into a country. And they do it. Some of them are really creative, and it's impressive that these guys can catch them. And then some of them are just dumb. You know, they'll, they'll just duct tape something under their shirt, and it's like sticking out like this, and they're walking, and they don't think they're going to get caught. Some of them are way more clever about how they'll try to smuggle. But here's the truth. I mean, the show is on how these guys are experts. They are experts. They are professionals at what to look for, and they can catch a smuggler. That's the whole premise of the show. And Peter wants his readers and the church then and now to be experts on how to catch a smuggler because false teachers are no different than people trying to smuggle something into a country illegally. False teachers are not going to declare their false doctrine when they pass through the customs at the church door. That's not what they're going to do. In fact, they're going to try to hide it and bring it in by stealth. In fact, if you look at this, the verb translated bring in carries the idea of smuggling or introducing something in a very deceptive way. 
all right? These teachers were not, and understand this, they're not hiding what they were teaching, but they were covering up the degree to which their teaching differed from the apostolic teaching. It, they were covering up how it was different from the Bible. This is what they do today. You can go on YouTube and find many false teachers, false prophets, teaching something that doesn't line up with this. Okay? And they're not going to hide their teaching. They're on YouTube broadcasting it. They're on TV broadcasting it. They're not hiding what they're teaching. They're just covering up really well how, how the, the differences between what they're teaching and, and the Bible, okay? They're sneaking very destructive ideas into the church, into this community of believers that Peter was writing to. It's, like I said, it isn't like a false teacher is gonna stand up and announce, hey, I've got some stuff to tell you, and it's totally false. <laughs> no, it's the opposite. They're sneaky. They're gonna introduce their teachings as if it was the real thing. It's gonna be presented as something that may look good. It may even sound beneficial, but a closer examination of what's being taught won't line up to the Bible. And Jesus talked about this. This shouldn't surprise us. Matthew 7, 15, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Do you know the word ravenous, is, it, that's a very interesting Greek word. It means that you're empty and trying to fill yourself up. Okay, these are people who are doing religious things, but it's for the purpose of gaining something. For some, some might be doing it for the, for the gaining of praise. Some might want the respect. Some might, whatever it is, they, they're, they're doing it to gain something. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks a lot about religion that's done for the praise of men. It's worthless. That's how Jesus describes it. You can do good works to try and gain something from God, but not because you want to know God. Because, again, you want to gain something from him. Some people don't want to know God at all. They want something from God. So they, they become very religious to try and get something out of him. The Greek word for evidence also can mean to extort. So I've done this, God. Now you have to bless me. I do this. I, I prayed. I did all of these things for you, so you need to bless me. They don't care about desire or love. They just, they don't seek him. They're not trying to grow closer to him. They serve him to get something from him, okay? Again, the scariest part of this passage, going back to, to Peter's epistle here, is that they won't look any different. They don't look any different from, our, from anybody else. You guys, I, I watch the ID channel too much. Liz tells me I watch it way too much. I'm at the place now where I cannot go to Walmart without looking at somebody and wondering. You know? I just, everybody, I'm like, what about if he's doing this? What about, you know, ID channels wrecked me. Don't watch it. But here's, here's one of the things. They talk about these guys who, who have done these horrendous, horrible, horrific crimes. And what everybody will say about them is they didn't look in, you know, I lived next door to this guy for 20 years and never knew he was doing these things. He wasn't foaming at the mouth. His eyes weren't glowing. I couldn't, he just looked like an average, ordinary husband, father, whatever he was. You would have never been able to tell by looking at him. False teachers, they're not clothed in a red suit carrying a fiery pitchfork when they approach people. They show up dressed up as preachers, small group leaders, student workers. And the only way to catch a smuggler is not going to be based upon what they wear or what they look like. It has to be based upon whether their words square up with the Bible. 
And that means you gotta know the Bible. That's why Peter, he's building upon that fact. You need to be intimate with this because that's how you're gonna be able to tell if somebody's preaching or teaching is squaring up with the Bible. And what is it that they teach? So we, we talked about how they operate. What is it that they teach? Well, look at that, that phrase, denying the master who brought them in. Denying the master who brought them in. Underline the word denying. The first thing we learn about them is that they are denying the master who brought them in. What does this mean? Is Peter saying that at one point they were saved? Or were they born again, they were saved, and then they got lost? Now, my answer to that is no. I don't, I don't believe that's what Peter's saying here. It doesn't seem to fit the context or the context of the rest of the New Testament. The teachers that he's talking about, these people that, these false teachers, teachers of error in Second Peter chapter 2, I believe are unsaved. They've not been born again. Some of you are saying, well, Pastor Justin, why do you, why do you say that? What do you base that on? Well, if you look at the very last verse in chapter 2, Peter, Peter says this, he's going to describe what happened to them in, in verse 22. It says, the dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. He's talking about these false teachers. So they're not sheep, they're dogs. They're not sheep, they're pigs. And, and I know some of you are going to say, wow, Pastor Justin, that's so mean. I'm just reading the Bible. Don't kill the messenger. They're not sheep, they're dogs. They're not sheep, they're pigs. They go back to their own vomit. They go back, they, they, had, they had never been washed, they, or they've been washed and they go back to their own filth. There's never been a new nature. Think about it. Why did the prodigal son go back to the father? Because he wasn't a pig. He went back home to the father, his father. A true Christian can fall into sin, but I believe he'll come back. They won't stay in sin. All throughout this second chapter, all throughout this second chapter, and I think it's so important we understand this, false teachers are being presented as pro- professors but not possessors, okay? All throughout this second chapter. A person can say they're a Christian and not be one. I love Jesus. I, I have been born again. I believe in God, but they've never really been born again. It's possible. They have the same vocabulary but a very different dictionary, and you need to remember that. They use the same words, they talk about salvation, heaven, sin, son of God, but they have a different definition. False teachers are known for what they deny, okay? Here's, I don't have time to go into everything false teachers deny. Maybe we can do it, do it in a uh, podcast or something, but, but there's two things that I want, I, you need to know this going into this text. Many times false teachers are gonna deny, deny that the Bible alone is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. That's where they're going to start. Most cults have their own books to go with the Bible in which they claim has equal authority. Why have different books? Because it's all together a different gospel. That's why. This isn't enough. So they've got to have their own book to, to go along with it. In fact, Jehovah Witness, uh, and I'm quoting from their very own material, and I quote this, if you read the Bible by itself, you will go into darkness. That is straight from the Watchtower Society. And I want you to know, nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible is true. It's light. God said what he meant, meant what he said. The Bible's truth, and the truth will set you free. It all comes back to the Bible, the inspired word of God. Do you know that the early church was known as people of the book? (laughs) I like it. I love it. Uh, in fact, I want New Heights Church to be known as people of the book. 
people of the book. If anybody has anything to say about our church, I hope it's man, they're by the book. They're people of the book. We're a textual community. Pretty hard to be deceived if you have a, a growing, genuine, authentic faith grounded in God's word. But false teachers, they will deny God's word as the only source of authority. And I want, I want to do something with you. You know the very first words of Satan recorded in Genesis, Genesis 3? Do you remember what they were? Did God really say that? Did God really say that? Think about that. He questions God's word. Then he denied it. He said, you will not die. So he's denying God's word. He questioned it. He denied it. And then substituted God's word. You shall be as God. They deny Jesus. False teachers deny his word as the ultimate authority. You know what else false teachers deny Jesus? And that's what Peter's addressing in our text here. Their doctrine of Jesus Christ is wrong. And if you're wrong about Jesus, you're wrong about God. Okay? A lot of religions out there that sound a whole lot like they're a part of us, but they don't view Jesus Christ the same way. I have friends over the years that are part of different religions tell me all the time, hey, we're the same. We're both Christians. No, we are not the same. You do not have the same view of Jesus Christ that I do. Okay, we have a very different view of Jesus. And, and uh, so you need to understand that. False teachers are going to deny the deity of Christ. They're going to deny this as the ultimate authority. And you need to be aware. And here's what happens to false teachers. He says this in verse 1. Look at it. It says, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. They're going to reap what they sow. Because they sow seeds of destruction within the church, they're going to reap what they sow. False teachers are headed for a fast approaching judgment. Michael Green says this, the man who attempts to serve God and self is on the high road to swift destruction for, for either death or the parousia will cut him off mid-course. I had to learn what parousia even meant. I just learned it this morning because I thought it meant, I thought it was a medical term and I asked Dr. Jim Marr this morning. He said, I've never, I've never treated anyone with parousia. So I said, well, I think it must be the Greek word then. So I, I got on my, my Logos Bible software and it, it's a Greek word for the second coming of <laughs> Jesus. Let me tell you something about Jesus Christ. He's jealous for his bride and he's gonna defend her by condemning those who wanna hurt his bride. So false teachers, they smuggle destruction. And secondly, look at verse two, they scandalize the gospel. Verse two, and many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. One of my favorite basketball players growing up, and I'm embarrassed to say this because he wasn't the best and he got me in trouble a few times, was Charles Barkley. Okay, how many of you grew up in the 80s and the 90s and you remember Charles Barkley? I love Charles Barkley, and I would repeat what he said. I got suspended from school, I think, twice for repeating what Charles Barkley said in interviews. My dad was so angry and frustrated that I liked Charles Barkley that he actually made a rule in our house I wasn't allowed to watch any games that Charles Barkley played in because he was concerned his son looked up to him so much. I remember in one interview he said, you know, one of the, the guys interviewing said, Does, how do you think your lifestyle, like what do you feel about your lifestyle and the role model you're being to kids? In which he replied, I'm not a role model. I'm a basketball player. Then Nike decides to make this series of commercials where uh, he says, I ain't no role model. I'm not a role model. I'm not paid to be a role model. I'm, not, I'm paid to wreak havoc on the basketball courts. 
Parents should be role models. Just because I dunk a basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kids. Well, I'll agree with you, Charles Barkley. Nobody wanted you raising their kids. <laughs> Parents should raise their kids, right? But, but I love what another player said in response to this. He said, that's not his call. It comes with the territory. I agree. Some things in life just can't be separated. Conduct and influence are inseparable. Okay, in verse 2, Peter asserts that godless conduct amongst professing Christians will always be followed by damage to the gospel credibility in the eyes of the world. The truth is this, teachers are role models. Teachers are role models. I wish every teacher understood this. Teachers are role models. They're not just people who pass on information. They're role models. So when it comes to the influence of false teaching, the body, the body count is never minimal. Man, casualties are always the consequence of spiritual leaders who are living a lifestyle of sin. Fortunately, I told you, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s, and I can remember the carnage that followed some of the infamous scandals in the Assemblies of God in the late 80s, early 90s. I remember that time. I remember it because my father at that same time was planting a church planting a church in Seattle, Washington, and he would make us kids get involved, like he would take us wherever he would go. And we had, in those days, you know, he didn't have any kind of money for doing mass mailings. He didn't have money for putting up a billboard. He did it by knocking on doors and talking to people, saying, hey, we're planting a church in this community. And I remember being young, I don't remember how old I was, but they had asked him, what denomination are you? And he would say, the Assemblies of God. And immediately, because it was during that time where there was so much scandals happening, they would say, ugh, ugh, I don't want nothing to do with your religion. And I remember my dad got the door slammed in his face on a few times just for saying he was a part of the Assemblies of God. I remember those days. Truth is that many, many are gonna follow false teaching and Peter says this, I mean, he says it in his text, I hate that word, many. I hate that it's in there. But he says many will follow. It's heartbreaking. The influence of these teachers that Peter's talking about is more tempting in some ways because of, of its erotic nature. And he's saying, what is Pastor Justin talking about? He, stay with me. Some of your translations use the word depraved. In our ESV, it translates sensuality. The reason being that the word usually always in the New Testament refers to sexual sin. Jude actually uses the, the idea to compare the sins of false teachers to those of Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, I want to read it for you so you hear me out. Jude 4, it says, For secretly slipped in among you, they are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Then in verse 7, he says, In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So Peter uses the word sensuality or deprived two more times in this chapter to convey this, this same idea. Now listen to me. In a sex-crazed culture like ours, a whole bunch of people are going to get ready to jump on the bad wagon of false teaching. Denying truths that we find in God's word when it comes to sexuality. I'm seeing it already. And it really shouldn't surprise us at all because Jesus warned us that this would happen. Matthew 7, 13 through 14, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy to lead, leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. 
I love how John MacArthur says it. Their message of independence, personal freedom, and self-examination is inherently appealing to fallen human hearts who would rather serve themselves than submit to Christ. We are seeing this in our world today. It has seeped into the church. How we view sexuality. I have heard Christians say things that I'm just appalled at. And I'm wondering, man, are we reading the same, are we reading the same Bible? But they don't want to submit to this. They're, they're, they're falling to false teachers. It doesn't matter what people, and here's what I need you to know. It doesn't matter what people claim about faith in Christ, but what they demonstrate in obedience to him. That is what the Bible teaches. Godless living always tarnishes the gospel. Man, when a self-identified Christian's way of life is contrary to Jesus' life, it scandalizes the gospel. It tarnishes the credibility. So New Heights Church, listen, live a life in such a way that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. That's what my prayer is for everyone who calls New Heights Church their home church. If you're a professional athlete, you're a role model. That's how it is, Charles Barkley. I don't care what you say, whether you like it or not. But here it is. If you're a Christ follower, you bear the reputation of the gospel and your godliness or lack thereof will always affect it. Okay, so remember, the motives of a false teacher uh, uh, are to discredit the gospel. And you need to let that motivate you to remember the holy life in which the gospel saved you. Okay? And number three, in verse three, they swindle believers. And, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Listen to how the NIV says it. It says, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. You guys remember the name Bernie Madoff? Does that, that ring a bell? He's arguably the most notorious American fraudster in, in, in the history, I would say the world, really. In 2009, this former stockbroker, investment advisor, financial financer admitted to operating a Ponzi scheme that is considered the largest financial fraud ever. Prosecutors estimated, get this, that he swindled about $64.8 billion out of his 4,800 clients. And on June 29th, 2009, he was sentenced to 150 years in prison. His arrest and conviction came after he hired both of his sons. Hired his two sons who worked for his firm. And this is what his two sons told authorities, that their father had confessed to them that the asset management unit of his firm was just a massive Ponzi scheme. They quoted him saying it was one big lie. Now, listen, a frightening link always exists between falsehood and greed. If destroying lives and undermining the Bible wasn't bad enough, these these false teachers, they're motivated motivated by something else. They're motivated by greed. This is what Peter's going to say. They were in this for personal gain as well. Peter says their greed... Their greed, look at, that. look at that in verse three, their greed, it drives them to get, the Christ, get inside Christian circles and just wreak havoc on lives. In fact, the verb exploit, it, it's a commercial term that suggests a, monetary, uh, suggests a monetary motive. These false teachers saw Peter's readers as a source for financial gain. 
In fact, Peter describes what happened to them later in verse 14. He says they have hearts trained in greed. They have hearts trained in greed. He's going to go and describe them in more detail. They have hearts trained in greed. I love this um, this, this quote I want to read from early church meeting. It says, if a missionary comes to you, you should welcome that person. However, if he stays more than three days, he's a false prophet. If anyone speaking in a trance says these words, give me money or anything else, do not listen to him. And everyone who comes in the name of the Lord is to be welcomed, though later you must test him and find out about him. Make sure he does not live in the idleness simply on the strength of being a Christian unless he agrees to this. He is only trying to exploit Christ. Now, false teachers, according to Peter, many times care they're led by greed. They care about money, 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 money. They crave money. They're experts and professionals is swindling, swindling people in the church out of money. I wish this wasn't true. I wish that I could say growing up in the church, this never happened, but this has happened. Just look at history. Many times, people who are so-called preachers, shepherds of the flock, have swindled innocent people out of their money. They look at the church as a playground for them to wreak havoc. And it's happened. It's happened all, all throughout history. It's not like something new in the 80s and 90s or in our, today's world. It's happened, it's happened all throughout the history of the church. How do they do it? Well, according to Peter, they do it with false words or, or they do it with fabricated stories. You know what's so sad is that people actually enjoy hearing fairy tales that satisfy their imagination and desires. This is the reason why false teachers prosper. We see it today with the prosperity gospel. This false doctrine, it's been preached, it's been taught, and it's been embraced by so many people. And all it's done is line the pockets of its proponents while emptying the pockets of its followers. I quoted earlier passages from the book of Jeremiah where God spoke through him. Remember where he said, the prophets prophesy lies, but I left this part out. And and, and let me tell you that just this passage alone is bad enough, but this next part is so scary. So he says, the prophets prophesy lies, but this is what gets so scary. And my people love it this way. My people love it this way. Oh my goodness, what in the world? Why would they love it? Why? Because everybody's a liar. That's what Psalms 116.11 says. In my alarm, I said, everybody is a liar. People love lies because everyone's a liar. How did false teachers exploit the people in Peter's time? The same way they do it today with fabricated stories. The tragedy of the human race began by believing the serpent's lie. And then Abraham, he told lies about his wife. Isaac did the same thing. David lied about his sin with Bathsheba. And in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to Peter. But you know what? Jesus hates lying lips because he is the truth. And you remember what Jesus told to Pilate. He said he came to testify the truth. That's what he said. Jesus and his word is the one we have to turn to if we're going to overcome false teaching. And I want to close with this. I'll invite the worship team back up. I want to look at this passage today. What, what do we learn for our life today? Well, we need to remember that the church is not immune to false teachers. I think today it's even worse because back in the day, pastors really could protect their flock by who they had come in the pulpit. 
I don't have that opportunity. I can protect Sunday morning and make sure that no false teacher or false prophet gets up here and teaches you something that contradicts his word. But I can't go and hold your hand and walk to your house and I can't control who you're watching on TV, who you're listening to on the radio. And I'm telling you, man, media today, these false teachers have exploited it like you wouldn't believe. They're all over social media. And... and And we've got to take every effort to keep ourselves rooted and grounded in the word of God lest we lose our stability and be carried away in error. Remember, they smuggle destruction. They're sneaky and you can only recognize them from what they're teaching. That's why you need to know God's word. They scandalize the gospel. Do their lifestyles match what the Bible describes as a godly life? And remember, they swindle believers. They want to tell you fabricated stories. But are those stories lining up with the Bible? False teaching pervades our culture today because we have no appetite for God's word. Hear me out. The Bible. Did you know that the Bible is the best-selling book of all time? It has more copies in more languages than any other book in the history of the world. Scriptures are available to 97% of the world's population. And yet the Bible is one of the least read books, according to these statistics. I've thought about what Job said. In Job chapter 23, verse 12, it says, I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. The Apostle Paul commended the Thessalonians for treating the Bible with great respect and with hunger for its truth. That's what he commended the Thessalonians for. When he wrote that they accepted, when he wrote that they accepted what was said, the words conveyed meaning of welcome. They they embraced it. They welcomed the scriptures into their ears, into their brains, into their hearts, into their lives. These believers, they were spiritual power eaters. Have you ever watched those hot dog eaters on ESPN? Crazy what they can do. It is absolutely insane. The Thessalonians were power eaters of God's word. Man, they just embraced and welcomed it into their life. Here's what's crazy. Did you know that according to one research, only 25% of born again believers read their Bible every day? 25%. That means that 75% of believers who read their Bible only do it once a week, and that's probably on Sunday. But you know what? The power of God's word comes when a strong spiritual appetite is combined with subsequent life application. Don't just read God's word. Feed on it. Feed on it. Take it. Take in its nutrition because it's going to sustain you and it's going to enable you in everything that you do in life. Do you realize that it takes 71 hours? I read a study, 71 hours, of course it depends on your reading level, 71 hours to read from Genesis to Revelation. So over a year, you could do it in 12 minutes a day. 12 minutes a day, you could read God's entire word in a year. If you just commit 12 minutes a day to reading God's word. If you read God's word as your daily meal, if you make it a regular and vigorous habit, And I'm telling you, the experience will give you a spiritual appetite for life-changing transformation. Life transformation is the greatest praise to the God that we serve. When this world looks at us and sees life transformation, 
Leonard Ravenhill said this, the greatest miracle that God can do is to take an unholy man out of an unholy world and make that unholy man holy and put him back in an unholy world and keep him holy. Here's what I wanna do. I know we, we're gonna close. I'm gonna pray. And, and for those who have to go, you, you're dismissed. It's okay. I'm gonna do what I did last week. I believe the Holy Spirit is stirring some of our hearts right now. I believe we're hungry for God. We want to see revival. We wanna see God move. We wanna see the power uh, of the Holy Spirit. We wanna see it manifest in our lives. We, want, we wanna see that. And I'm, gonna, I'm telling you, I, I know it's only gonna come as we commit to his word. We get back, every revival in the history of America started in a Bible study. Study it in Bible study. And I, I told you last week, I'm gonna tell you again, some of you might not feel anything. That's okay. God can change the way you feel. Some of you might say, I'm not hungry for God's word. God can change that. Some of you are really hungry for God's word. I'm still gonna invite you up to the pulpit or the, <laughs> I'm still gonna invite you. You better be a good preacher. Like, well, I'm not a good, either. We, wanna, we want to open up our altars at the end of every service and we wanna give the Holy Spirit a, an opportunity to move in our lives. And so I'm gonna invite all of my, my leaders to come up and pray and be willing to pray with anybody else. If you are just wanting more of God, and I, if you're just wanting to see God move, our altars are open. If you've gotta go, that's okay. We are officially dismissing you. I'm gonna pray. And then the worship team is gonna be up here and they're gonna be up here as long as it takes. As long as somebody's at the altar, they're gonna be here playing because we don't want you to miss an opportunity to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. So would you pray with me? Father God, we love you and praise you and worship you. We are so thankful for your word your spoken word, the living God that spoke this world into existence speaks directly to our hearts and in our own circumstances and situations through your word. Man, I pray that we'd be hungry for it. We want a move of the Holy Spirit because we want people in this community to experience the life-changing transformation that happens through the power of the resurrected Jesus. We want to experience more of your grace and more of your mercy. And so, Lord, we invite you right now in this moment to interrupt our life. And we pray right now that you would just open our eyes and our hearts spiritually so we could experience the power of your presence and the peace of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.